of Christology, introduction to Christology. And uh, so now we are hitting the new covenant. And um, so were there any questions from last week or comments um, uh, from last week? Nope. Oh Lord, I don't miss the whole class. <laughs> no, we we are just starting Marquis, so that was oh. the introduction oh, of the book. God. You are oh, good, sir. <laughs> oh, see, I'm thinking I don't miss the whole. I said, Lord, I don't miss the whole class last week. I said I didn't see anything <laughs> saying about anything about a class. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the last two weeks we've been just doing the introduction uh, to the book. Oh. Yeah, but you're good. Right. You're okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you miss those, you know those are on YouTube. You can review it. Okay. Yeah, and there's okay. documents on the website as well that you can download. Okay, I'll do that. Lord, yeah. I was like, oh no, uh, <laughs> I forgot everything I just read. Forget it all. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so you're good. You're good. So um, and so we uh, went went over that hump of that challenging chapter, and so now. We are hitting the, the new covenant and learning the, the facts and the implications of the new covenant, okay? So um, let's go ahead and look at the presentation here. Share screen. back some here okay there we go um hope you all can see uh the, the presentation here um so uh, we're doing the new covenant um and so in this class here we are going to learn more about the continuity of jewish history from old testament to new testament so we have to understand that um the, the overall story of the Bible is a continuous flow. It's a progressive flow. Um, we have been taught, um, especially um, in my church experience, that Old Testament is totally different from the New Testament and that Old Testament is not really important for us to know, that we should focus uh, solely on the New Testament, things like that. But we are coming into an understanding that it is a, it is a flow, it is a continuity um, a story that is, that is happening. And so we have to really understand uh, the story of the Old Testament in order to understand the New Testament, okay? So in the next point, um, that we are going to make sure we cover is learning more about the historical and messianic interpretation of Old Testament prophecy. So what I mean by this, when you're looking at biblical prophecy, um, now I, I put the documents in the Dropbox, just in case you can't read the, the print and things like that. So the documents are in the Dropbox. I actually remember to this time, so they're in there. So when looking at biblical prophecy, Biblical prophecy just, it doesn't have just one interpretation. It has several levels of interpretation and there are at least three levels of interpretation when it comes to biblical prophecy. So when we begin to understand that there are um, various levels of, of um, interpretation, that should cause us to really stop 
and really to look at what the prophets are saying, um, it causes us to um, go back and make sure that we have an understanding of Jewish history and we, that we're familiar with the stories in, in the Bible so we can connect it. So the first level of um, biblical prophecy is called contemporary or historical. So that, um, that means that it is the uh, approach in the mindset of the author and the original readers, how it pertains to their lifetime. So, the, so when, whenever the prophet is prophesying, um, thus say of the Lord, they are looking for interpretation um, that deals with them in their time, the and the people that that are in their time. Okay, so when the genre is prophetic, one must be familiar with utterances, visions, and dreams, and the understanding of these things in their historical situations. So that means just understanding the stories um, in in the Bible. Okay. The second level of biblical prophecy is messianic. So scriptures relating to Jesus Christ. Christ tells us in, this, in the uh, Gospels what scriptures uh, refer to him, all things pertaining to Jesus Christ from birth throughout his life. So you will see, you will see uh, prophecy being fulfilled messianically when he said, when, especially in the book of Matthew, he will say, um, and this was done to fulfill Isaiah, such and such and such, or this was done to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel, or something like that. You will see, you will see that being alluded to um, in scripture. Um, and so if, uh, and also um, prophecy that, um, that took place during the time of Jesus Christ too is considered messianic prophecy, okay? And the last one is eschatological. So eschatology is the study of what the Bible says is going to happen in the end time. So basically futuristic or end time study, okay? But when you're looking at end times or eschatology, it, uh, you have to um, understand that there are, there are three audiences when it comes to eschatology. There's the, there's the end time uh, story for the world, there's an end time story for the Jews, and there's an end time story for the church. And so as we continue to, to grow and as we continue to um, bring in more classes and things like that, we're going to understand the various end time um, stories for each group, okay? Um, so that is uh, what I mean by, um, wait, let me go. Um, learn more about historical and messianic interpretation of Old Testament prophecy. So when I'm going through the scriptures in the book of Jeremiah and Daniel and Nehemiah and all that stuff, I'm going to be going back and forth. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you when I'm happening to the messianic interpretation, the contemporary or the eschatological uh, interpretation. Okay. Um, so the last one is to learn more about intertestamental period. And so um, we may get to that this, this week, or we may not, because we have kind of a lot of ground to cover. Um, and so if I don't cover it this week, I'll just make sure to kind of hit it um, in the beginning of next week while we go into the next part. I think it's um, about the story of Jesus. That's the, that's the next uh, part that we're going to go into. So, um, so any questions so far about what I've covered or the expectations of the class? Okay, let's keep it moving. All righty. So um, let me make sure I'm following my notes here. Okay. Yeah, okay. 
So yeah, let me go here. Okay. So um, in the book, in the book on page, I believe it was on page 19. No, not page 19. I think it was like page maybe 20. Um, it talks about this scripture here. Um, behold, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay. Um, no, I don't want to go there real quick. I want to, before I get there, I want to review something with you all. Or do I want to do that? This time my notes are kind of out of order. When I was reviewing it in my head, I kept going back and forth from how I wanted to, to do it. But I think I'm going to stick with this scripture here. Okay, yeah, I'm going to stick here. So, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of, of Judah. For this is the covenant um, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and I shall, and they shall be my people. Okay, so when Jeremiah is saying the scripture, he is saying the scripture before the exile of Babylon, uh, to Babylon. So I'm going to talk about um, the, uh, the different periods of exile for the, for the Israelites. So the first um, exile is um, Babylon. Babylon takes over Israel, okay? Um, and so uh, there's a whole huge historical story behind behind um, Jeremiah's uh, 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 prophecy here is that um, when, when King Josiah died, um, he was the one that kind of restored the people back to um, learning about the law and getting back to uh, the relationship with God. Um, because before, before that, they were worshiping pagans and, and things like that. And so when Josiah stumbled upon the law in, in the basement of the temple, um, he began to basically put the mor morale back into Israel um, to worship God um, and to observe the law. And so when, when Josiah died, um, the Israelites, they went back to worshiping pagan gods. And Jeremiah gives a warning in the earlier chapters, like chapter, I think 24, he gives a warning to them and says, you know, if you continue to do um, paganistic things um, that you um, are going to be captured um, by another civilization. And so um, of course that first civilization is Babylon. And so and then Jeremiah, he, in the, and the chapters to come, he begins to prophesy about the, the new covenant. So that's what we see here, um, that God is going to raise up a people that will put their law inside of them and he will write, write it on, on their hearts. And so what, what we have to understand here, uh, uh, I think this is on page, let me see the, the passage I'm about to read here. Um, in your book, it is on... on page 20 and it's a paragraph that starts says um hebrews hebrews 8 okay so it says hebrew hebrews 8 make it clear that jeremiah is ultimately referring to the covenant established in the death and resurrection of jesus christ so before even getting there that's the that's the messianic interpretation 
of, of this scripture here. But the contemporary um, translation or interpretation is Jeremiah's original prophecy is about Israel return from Babylon. Yahweh promised to sow the land with people and, and animals. He has been destroying Israel, but promised to build her again, especially to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. So after, after um, they were released from Okay, because Babylon was taken over by Persia, and so King Cyrus allowed Israel to go back home. But from the millions of people that were captured by Babylon, only a small handful of people went back um, to Jerusalem, to their hometown. And so, um, and so that's what uh, Jeremiah was talking about when they go back home. Um, they'll be able to, to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. So centuries before Jesus come, Israel is already living in Jeremiah's new covenant. And so it's not really uh, the full the fullness of the covenant. It's only partial uh, uh, restoration that uh, Israel is receiving at the moment. Okay, so... Um, and so they won't receive full restoration or full release until, until the kingdom, until the consummation kingdom, okay? Um, so what we have to understand when it, comes to, um, when it comes to the kingdom, that there are two aspects of the kingdom. Um, there is the right now kingdom <laughs> and the not yet or the, the kingdom to come. Okay, so when Jesus came on the earth, he spoke about the right now or or um, a, te a technical term that you will see in the writings is inaugural kingdom. Um, he talks about um, the benefits of the kingdom and how we should live um, uh, under the, the principles of the kingdom here on earth. And so he's rolling in the, the, the kingdom and then the consummated or the not yet kingdom is um, will occur after tribulation period, okay? So those are the two aspects of the kingdom. So when you see something like um, kingdom or end time or in those days, when you see that type of terminology in the Bible, you have to understand what they're talking about. And the only way you're able to understand it is looking at the context of scripture. Okay, context is king when it comes to um, knowing what mode of prophecy to look at here, or what mode of the kingdom to look at here. Okay, so as we continue to go through our studies, it's going to come, it's going to become commonplace, it's going to be real common because we're going to come to places and it's going to start calculating in your head automatically um, to what aspect that we're looking at. Okay. Um, any questions about what I just said there? Because I know I just said a lot, um, especially concerning kingdom. We're good? All right. All right, cool. Um, let's go to the book. Um, what page is that here? The new... Yeah, that's it. So on page, I think it's page 19 here. Yes, 19. Um, 
you see the the sentence that says like Jeremiah describes the period as the new covenant. It's kind of like the last sentence is in, in that uh, next paragraph that says, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Judah. not like um, the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day, I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, okay? So I will put uh, my law within them and on their hearts. And so this, uh, when it comes to putting the law um, in them and, and writing on their hearts, you, you see this when reading scripture, this um, took place um, after when they came from Babylon or, or Persia's control back to Jerusalem, when they were rebuilding the city, you guys are familiar uh, with the story of Nehemiah, how they were building the walls and building back the city. So during that time, it was Nehemiah and Ezra. So Ezra came in because um, he was, Ezra was really upset of the fact that a lot of people stayed in, in Babylon uh, during that time because they, um, they became comfortable. They were in, in captivity for about 70 years. And so then, so by then, you, you know, you, you done established um, yourself and you basically take on the uh, practices of the Gentiles. And so that's what Israel did. And that really upset Ezra. And so Ezra took the law, um, stood in the town square. You can read this in like Nehemiah 8. Um, he stood in the town square and began to teach on, on the law. And then while he was teaching, the people began to cry. They began to lament before God. And, and then from, from there, Ezra, he began to explain scripture or interpret scripture or um, use a hermeneutical approach when it comes to, to scripture. And so the second temple that was rebuilt during that time was focused on teaching. Whereas the first temple, Solomon's temple, was focused on sacrifices and religious ceremonies, okay? So in the second temple that dealt with teachings, this is where you see, this is where we see the, uh, the building of synagogues begin to happen. This happens during the intertestamental period. Synagogues um, begin, begin to pop up. Um, and in the uh, New Testament, that's where you see Jesus doing a lot of his teaching in synagogues and in temples. You don't really see a lot of scripture um, about Jesus doing sacrifices, even though there, there are sources that say he did, um, but he did a lot of teaching. And so that was the, the main focus during the second temple, second temple era was, was teaching. And that was established by Ezra, okay, after, after, um, after the release from Babylon. So that's what it means um, that I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, okay? And so now with the church, we, we have gotten it backwards. We're focused more on worship uh, rather than teaching, and so and so that and so as we 
you see you see it in churches that that the the worship scene has to be right and singers have to be right and all this presentation has to be right before god but then we put teaching on the back burner whereas god wants to raise up a people to put his word to put um yeah to put his word on our hearts and so we need to be teaching more we need to be raising up disciples more um, not to say that worship is not important. Worship is important, but worship is our lives dedicated, present our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's no longer the ceremonial, the religious worship. It's, it's, the, it's the lifestyle that, that's, the, uh, that's the demand for us as, as the church, okay? Um, let's go to the next slide here, I believe. Yep, I'm going to the next slide here. So it turns out um, that what ultimately makes the people of God different from all other people is that God has entered into a covenant relationship with them. This does not mean that God does not have a relationship with non-covenant people, though. In fact, the Bible teaches that he does. But being in covenant relationship with God has special privileges and benefits. From the beginning of mankind, God has entered into covenant or special relationship with man. Okay, so the Adam, the Edenic and Adamic and Noahic covenants, those covenants were not made to a particular group of people. They were made with the world. Okay, this is the prehistory or the primeval or the, the, the prehistory of Israel. Um, this, this occurs before then, okay? So the, these are covenants with the world. Um, Nana. Yeah. Is, so that's how, and I know we talked about that during covenants, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear in this. So because that was made with the world, that's how, even though Adam sin, we all kind of fell into that category because mm -hmm. he was just kind of representation of the world. So mm -hmm. it affected everybody. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. When you, when you um, look at the implications of the covenants, you, we could see it uh, being played for the world. So it wasn't the particular people that were affected. It was the, the world. So yeah, definitely. Um, so however, covenants between God and mankind took upon an even more special nature when God entered a covenant with Abraham. So this covenant is special because it was God's plan that all the people of the earth would be included. It was unconditional as far as mankind's response and it would be guaranteed uh, by God himself. However, Bible, stu Bible students must uh, need, uh, they need to understand that the Abrahamic covenant actually is represented in scripture progressively through sub covenants. Okay. So you guys remember this chart? I think I gave it out last week. Um, but oh, I remember this one. Oh, oh yes. yes. We're going to see this in every class. <laughs> so, um, as you notice here, the Abrahamic covenant there are three covenants that stems out of the Abrahamic covenant. And these are considered sub covenants, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. Okay. So those who are uh, heirs of, of Abraham will partake in these covenants. Okay. So um, in 
uh, in Ephesians 2, 2 and 12, it says, remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So when, when Paul is talking about covenants of promise, it's a plural world, plural word. Um, he's talking about the sub-covenants, um, the Palestinian, the uh, Davidic, and the new covenant, okay? So um, Paul is saying that we are no longer strangers, but we have access to these covenants of promise. So we have access to the sub-covenants because we are joint, we are joint heirs. We've been a grafted in. We are descendants of Abraham and we have access to everything that comes from the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. So the Mosaic law was not given to us. It was given to Israel and it was a temporal thing. That's why you see the, the Mosaic law is not connected to the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. You see that? And it stops at the cross. It doesn't bypass the cross like the other covenants do because the Mosaic covenant was a temporal thing with Israel only, okay? So when Paul is talking about us partaking in the old covenants, in the covenants of promise, it's not including the Mosaic covenant. And that's where a lot of churches get it wrong, okay? Um, that's why they, they, they still try to throw the old covenant at us uh, as, a, as a guideline of living. And it's just like, no, that was, that was given to Israel. <laughs> We're not Israel. And it was a temporal thing and it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay. So you may think like, okay, so what is the Palestinian and the Davidic covenant? What that got to do with me? I'm not, I don't have the land and all that stuff. So we will see the implications of it, the eschatological uh, implications of it, or the end time of it, we will see that in the kingdom, okay? Because that is where Jesus, he's going to come back on earth, his glorious return um, back on earth. That's where he's going to rule on earth, okay? In that land. Because um, right now the land is not owned by Israel. That's a very hot area. Palestinian land is a very hot area. And it, right now, um, Israel does not have control of that, okay? Um, the Davidic covenant, um, we, we understand the Davidic covenant that um, God said that I'm going to raise up someone um, that comes um, in your line, David, to be the king. And we know that Jesus was, is the king, and he still is the king. And we will see Jesus reign on, like I said, reign on earth, uh, during his glorious return. And so right now, technically, we are under the Davidic covenant. We're still under the Davidic covenant because Jesus is our king, okay? So that's how the Davidic covenant uh, is, uh, how that's, we, we are still connected to that. And that, 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 that um, Davidic covenant is ours, okay? As uh, descendants of Abraham, okay? And then, of course, we're starting to understand the new covenant, Okay, we're going to um, talk more about that. Okay, so that's how the covenants kind of connect. Any questions about that before I continue? All righty. Are we under both the new covenant and the Davidic covenant? Yeah. Okay. Yep, because it's still going. It's still taking place because Jesus is still our king. 
So technically we are, we are under the Davidic covenant and we will see the end time result of it uh, when he comes back on earth. Yep. And so the one day the, the, the land of Palestine will be taken over by Israel um, and uh, put back in Israel's hands. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, let's go. So, so, because you said one day we will see that. So we can't, we can be in the end time, but we for sure know he ain't coming back because we haven't even seen the fulfillment of that. So he ain't coming back for sure yet because we have to see that, right? Right. Jesus is not sitting here on earth ruling. He will literally come back as man and sit on the throne and rule. Right. No. Yeah. No, I think, hold on. Let me make sure because I may have missed something. Okay. So we were talking about Israel being um, getting that land restored to them. Is right. that land going to be restored to them once Jesus hits earth or is it going to be restored to them before he comes back? It's going to be restored before before he comes back. Right. So, so it's, going then, to, it's, it's going to happen during the tribulation period. During the tribulation. Okay. I'm just looking for stuff to watch out for. You know, as yeah, I'm looking we, at we, that. We, we don't have to worry about that because okay. we're not right. going to be on earth. <laughs> I just don't want to be like, breaking news. Israel has this land back. Oh, shoot. It's happening. Right, right, okay. right. Yeah. So, so that won't happen until the tribulation, after the tribulation uh, period here. Uh, <laughs> that's right welcome back sonny i'm glad you're here uh, yes we are going we are going to be uh caught up so we won't we won't see that that's why i said when it comes to end time the world the church and the jews have a different end time story okay so um, we'll, we'll talk about that one day. We'll hit the book of Revelation one day. But um, the kind of the introduction to Revelation is Daniel 9, okay? So we're going to talk about that in a, in a minute here, okay? So let's, any, any other questions before I continue on? Uh, yes, I had a question. Um, so, when, so when you say the Mosaic law, you mean as in just the, like the sacrificing part of it is gone? I, of course, I understand. Is that what you're saying? And then everything um, else stays or not, no, not everything else, but. Yeah, so with the Mosaic law, um, everything, the ceremony, the, the, the law itself, everything is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So it's no more. But the key is, I don't want to throw y'all, but I'll, I'll give you this, this uh, cliffhanger here. Um, in the tribulation with, with the Jews, the Mosaic law is going to be reinstituted for the Jews. We won't see it. But in scripture, it, uh, in Revelation, it's going to be reinstituted again. What? <laughs> I know I was like, everybody came off of me. Everybody came off of me. For them. For them. For the Jews. For the Jews. For the Jews. Now listen, listen. During tribulation, we are in the Father's house. We are in heaven. We are not on earth. Okay, after tribulation, then you're going to see the new heaven and the new earth. Everything's going to come together. 
Okay. So yeah. So after tribulation, that's when um, that's when the devil is going to be bound. That's when um, sin would be no more on earth after tribulation. Okay. You you guys remember the story? Uh, what was it? The the, the hundred and uh, was it one hundred forty four thousand? that are going to come back on earth to evangelize. Right. That yep. is for the Jews. Okay. Uh, 12, was it 12 um, from each, each uh, tribe? Yep. Uh, was going to come back on earth to evangelize to the Jews. That's going to be the great, the greatest awakening that we'll, that we'll ever see in history as far as people coming back to God. It's going to be greater than the 2,000 years that we're living now, people coming to God. All of this, this great rush back to God is going to happen during the seven years of tribulation. And it's going to be with the Jews. And, and Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. And we missed it as a church. When it starts in Matthew 25 to the end, uh, during uh, Jesus, all of that discourse he talks a lot about the end time for the Jews. This is why we have to be careful with gospel uh, scripture because he's not talking to the church right there. This is a Jewish conversation that he's having. And so a lot of his parables are, are uh, clues to the end time. <laughs> so yeah, so once, once we, we will get there, as far as putting all these pieces together as uh for the end time okay <laughs> i knew i threw that out everybody gonna be like what what you mean the law's coming down the mosaic law right now say that again i said aren't the jews still under mosaic law no they believe that they are they believe that they are but they're Technically, no, they're not, but they believe that they are because they're still that's waiting. Not, that's for what the, they still observe is like, yeah, yeah, they're still waiting for the Messiah, but they missed him. Missed him. <laughs> they, yeah, they they missed him. So technically, yes, they still study the law. Yep. Well, this is one recording I'm going to have to go back and listen to. <laughs> Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> I can't, I can't wait the, the day we get to talk about Revelation. But there are some foundational teachings that we must understand first before we hop into Revelation. Okay, because you see, it's very meaty. Revelations is <laughs> is very meaty. So uh, I want to be able to lay down this foundation for you all. Okay. All righty. Let's continue. We are doing well oh yeah we're doing very well with time okay um uh, see here all right so let's go back talking about the three sub covenants could be viewed and interpreted apart from the abrahamic covenant but i think that would be a mistake to do so as we have presented the davidic and palestinian and new covenants all are connected to the abraham covenant and therefore should be understood in their proper relationship to the abrahamic covenant paul reminds us of the progressive nature and the divine order of god's covenant uh relationship uh with the people when he said remember that formerly you who are gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, 
excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God um, in the world. But now in, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, yeah, make sure I'm reading that. Uh, so that's Ephesians 2, um, 11 through 13. So of course, um, like all the um, other covenants, uh, of the Old Testament, the new covenant had to be ratified by the shedding of blood. Okay. Um, let's see here. Okay. Yeah. So the, the importance, the importance of, uh, the new covenant and the fact that the Gentiles are going, going to take place when Jesus says, um, in his teaching, he says, I have many sheep not of this fold, he's not talking about other Jews. Um, he was actually talking about, we know, the Gentiles, okay? Um, Jesus had to, he had to do the work uh, so he could put two folds under one shepherd, okay? So Jesus is talking about the shedding of his blood. Um, that's the type of work that Jesus had to do. So um, he must do uh, what the Father sent for him to do. Um, so that the Abraham covenant will be available to all nations, those that receives him. Okay. All right. So what about this new covenant? Um, why is there a need for a new covenant? What happened to the old one? Um, so we, we've been talking about, um, uh, it was always intended by God that the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant um, is temporary. So God never intended for the old covenant to go past the cross, like we saw in the chart. Um, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But the Jews could not accept the fact that Jesus uh, came to fulfill um, the, the, uh, the old covenant. Um, they still, a lot of Jews went to the temple and still did sacrifices after Jesus death. Okay. So that was what Tammy was kind of alluding to asking if they still worship, uh, let me uh, still observe the Mosaic law. And technically they do. But after Jesus died in 30 AD, there was a 40 year transition period where God allowed the Jews to come. They had to really be taught and be brought into the new covenant and um still there was still sacrificing things going on but what really shut down the old covenant was the fact that 40 years later in 70 a.d the temple was destroyed so the temple of jerusalem was destroyed so if there's no temple to do sacrifices then there is no old covenant so the ceremonial part of the old covenant was finished Okay, when that temple was destroyed. And so, um, but, uh, and so they still, even today, those who haven't uh, accepted uh, Jesus as the Messiah, they still practice the law in some way. They don't do sacrifices. Um, they they, um, they uh, go into the synagogues. We see a lot of synagogues and do the teachings and things like that of the law and of rabbinic, uh, teachings and learning about the Mishnah, the Talmud, the 
the uh, what is it, the, the Damascus documents and all this stuff, all this tra traditions of men. That's what Jesus was talking about in scripture. He calls that the traditions of men. And so, cause they, they use, they took the traditions of men and trumped it over the law. So Jesus had to come and show them how the law should have been fulfilled in the first place. And so people thought that even growing up in church, we thought that Jesus was coming uh, coming against the law, but he was actually fulfilling the law. He was coming against their traditions of men. He was coming against the, all, all the, the new teachings that they, they, they thought that they were in line with the Mosaic, um, with the Mosaic uh, teachings, but in reality, they were, they were hostile against it. So Jesus had to come and show them how the law should have been fulfilled. Okay. Alrighty, where I stopped at. Okay, so let's see, which of the new covenants might the scripture has been, had in mind? So when you see in Old Testament, they'll say, I mean, New Testament, they'll say like Old Covenant. It's always talking about the Mosaic Covenant, okay? Um, so it turns out, let me find it in my notes. Uh, okay, it turns out um, that a review of scriptures help us to recognize that the new covenant is only new to the house of Israel. Okay, so as non-Jews, there has never been a covenant relationship on the level of the Abrahamic between God and mankind. So under the Abrahamic covenant, there was never a covenant that was made with non-Gentiles. So technically, we don't have a new covenant. We just have a covenant. But the name of it, because we're dealing with Jewish history, is the new covenant. But to us, it's just a covenant. Okay. And so, um, but since we've already see, stated the nature of Abraham's covenant as being an everlasting or eternal, new should either be understood in terms of the mode of the Abrahamic covenant or not a relationship to the Abraham covenant at all. So Paul makes it very clear through the epistles what our expect expectations or teachings should be on this manner here, okay? So I definitely want you to look up the scriptures to see what Paul is saying about the old, I mean, about the, uh, about the Abrahamic covenant, okay? The new covenant, okay? Um, any questions so far? So I'm about to hop into the new, the new part with Daniel. All righty. All right, so let's hop into the exilic and post-exilic prophecy. So this is where my notes got jumbled. Here we go, let's find it. So I put that at the top instead of the bottom. Okay, so Okay, before I get to that slide here, um, what, what we have to understand, I think I put a chart in, in the Dropbox. I didn't put it in my presentation, but when it comes to the, the books, I wonder if I have it in previous, nope, I don't have it in previous presentation. Um, when it comes to the prophets, we have to understand where they fit in history, okay? So um, the exilic prophets, meaning the prophets that were speaking during exile, 
Okay, that's what it means when they say um, exilic prophets. So there were two prophets that, that, that spoke during that time, and it was Ezekiel and Daniel. Jeremiah spoke before the exile, but many people considered him to be an ex, uh, exilic prophet, okay? So, and then the post-exilic or after the exile prophets are Zechariah, Malachi, Zechariah, Malachi, and, and Haggai. They're considered post-exilic prophets, okay? Um, so like I said, Jeremiah would be considered an exile prophet, but he prophesied before the exile. So when Israel uh, was invaded by ba Babylon, so when they were first invaded by Babylon, here's the strategy of Babylon. They took Israel out in three waves, okay? They took the wealthy first, because what uh, a uh, civilization is basically maintained by the wealthy. And so they took the wealthy first uh, to, to weaken the civilization. And then the second, they took the second wave of people and then the third wave of people. So the time uh, that they took the people was, uh, they took it in 10 year increments. So 606, 596 and the last one in 586 okay so it was over 20 years that they took over um israel i mean yeah took over israel and so um during that time when when jeremiah was was prophesying saying that this was going to occur um jeremiah was captured um uh, by the people because they didn't like what Jeremiah was saying. They were saying, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was basically saying, repent, give up all the pagan worship. Um, you're about to be captured. When you get over there, you might as well play fair. And then they didn't like that. And so they were, and so Jeremiah was put into to, to prison. He was about to be killed. But when Babylon came in, um, they heard about Jeremiah's prophecy and they basically let him free. And because um, they let him free, um, a few few Jews, they were able to escape and force Jeremiah to go with them to Egypt. So Jeremiah fled to Egypt. Now, here's another cliffhanger, something that you can look at. Um, while Jeremiah was in Egypt, they established the, uh, the Jewish tradition, the Hebraic tradition down in Egypt. So this is why you hear a lot of people saying that there are black Israelites. The fact that Jeremiah went to Egypt and uh, with other Jews and they, they built temples, they built all types of, um, all, all types of things. Um, uh, and they, they develop uh, the Jewish uh, Judaism right in Egypt. Okay. So that's where you hear a lot of people saying like, Oh, Israel, the, the, they were true black Israelites and all, you know, that big Israel, they're just annoying. Uh, the, the black Israelites and all that stuff. This is the, this is the main story that they heap off of is the fact that they, they, um, that Jeremiah and some other people went to, uh, Egypt and established Judaism there. Okay. So that's why they believe that black people are the real Jews and all that stuff. So that's just a story that you can uh, <laughs> definitely do research on or whatnot. Um, I'm sorry, Laura, I said they were annoying, but they are. Um, let's see here. Um, so the exilic and post-exilic prophecy. So a survey of the prophetic books in the Old Testament canon, especially 
Let me see. Nope, I'm on the wrong place. Yep, especially those that cover the exile and post-exilic periods of Jewish history helps Bible students to see um, an interesting trend. <laughs> she says somebody invite Nick Cannon. Po baby, po child. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, let's see here. Helps Bible students to see an interesting trend. Gentiles are brought into contact with Israel and Israel's God on the unprecedented scale during and after the, the exile. So we see, where is that in my notes? Okay, here it is. Um, so on page, on page 28, um, we, we see that throughout, throughout the um, Old Testament, the Lord draws the, the Gentiles to salvation, but the Gentiles are brought into contact with Israel and Israel on an unprecedented pre, uh, uh, scale during the, um, and after exile. So once they go into exile, um, God is doing a new thing. He is moving throughout time in a way to position his people for the world uh, for Jesus. For Jesus. So consequently, it looks like um, this in the book of in the book of Ezra, um, when the uh, uh, a Gentile king uh, was persuaded by God to release um, his people um, back to the promised land, and then even in Babylon. Uh, while the Israelites were living amongst the Gentiles, they were actually living in peace amongst the Gentiles. So this was something that God wanted in the first place. But um, when we look through history, it, the Israelites began to conform to paganism, which Jesus, then God was like, no, that's not <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I meant. And so um, when we read through the intertestamental period, uh, when um, Jews began to be captured by other civilizations, um, basically they kind of lost their identity as Jews. Um, and so, uh, but the idea was for God to always have the Gentiles come unto him, okay? So in fact that the Jew, I'm going back to the slide, in fact that the Jew and Gentile relationship is not always in every situation, and adversarial one, but through, uh, throughout this period. The point becomes especially clear when we read the book of Daniel. Of course, the plan of God is seen even before, before this era here. And so, um, let's see. yeah, I talked about uh, millions that came back, well, that didn't come back. Um, yeah, so it was always, like I said, God's plan for the Gentiles to be part, um, to be a part. Um, and so we see, we're going to see, we're going to kind of see that through, through this next part here. So let me see here where I'm going to go. 21, page 21, that kind of talks about the 70 weeks. I'm going to go there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this point especially becomes clear when we read the book of Daniel. So this chart here in your Dropbox here is very detailed. Actually, I think I want to come out of it and I want to kind of zoom in on some parts here. Um, give me one second here. Share screen two. Uh, uh, how am I going to do this here in show? 
but I want you all to see. Okay, can you still see the presentation? I kind of dragged it over because I want to do some zooming in uh, because it's a very detailed chart, but I, I don't want um, to miss this detail that I want to bring out. Um, and so when we read Daniel chapter nine, um, we, we see his, his dream or his vision. So let me set up the story here with, with, with Daniel. So Daniel, um, as we know, Daniel, he basically worked um, in the king's temple. He worked under three terms. He worked under Nebuchadnezzar. He worked, he worked under Darius and he worked under Cyrus. So he was like considered like the secretary of state. <laughs> he worked in three, for three terms. And so um, Daniel was brought over in the first wave um, in 606 and he was brought over at the age of like 15 and 16. So when we come to Daniel 9, he's about, uh, he's about, uh, about close to being 80 and he's reading, he's reading the book of Jeremiah uh, one, one morning, and he realized that Jeremiah said in chapter, I think it's chapter 24, chapter 26, that the um, Israelites would be in captivity for 70 years. And he realized, like, okay, this is the 70th year. So he began to pray to God saying, okay, what is it that we should be looking for? Or when, when are we going to be released? And so that's when, um, that's when Daniel had this vision. That's when Gabriel had to come in to interpret. So they, Daniel, he had several visions. He had one in chapter seven, he had one in chapter eight, and he had one in chapter nine. And all of the visions were kind of progressive. They kind of build on each other. And so in, in his, um, man, um, in his uh, vision, it, it talks about, let me see the gold head and the um the ram and the goat and things like that those represent um the nations that are going to um take um israel under captivity so the first one of course we know is babylon and then the second one is persia and then the third is greek uh, greece and then the fourth one is rome Okay, and Rome has the longest reign. Matter of fact, Rome is still in charge um, over, uh, over Israel as far as uh, here with a solid line, that is political Rome. Political Rome had, had rule at that time. And here with the dotted line is religious Rome. Religious Rome still, still is still in charge so today what would be considered religious rome when i say religious rome the vatican yeah 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 yeah, catholicism. yeah yeah so uh we have to remember uh catholicism is under christianity <laughs> so christianity uh actually still rules here here um rules here in this in this time and it won't be over until the end of tribulation now i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw another one at you so you we know in scripture when well if you've never read revelation it talks about the harlot and uh, chapter 17 and all that stuff um that is considered false religion okay 
Um, and so what they translated the harlot to be is Catholicism or Christianity. And that's going to be put to an end um, during the tribulation time. Okay. So that, yeah, yeah. So one day we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. So religious Rome still runs, kind of runs everything for real, um, if we know it or not. And so, so that's what his dream is kind of about, is about. But Daniel is not told that part. He's only told uh, about um, Israel being under captivity of four, of four, um, four, uh, four nations. Okay. So I said it was, let me see here. Let me go back to my. Nope, that's the wrong presentation. Let's see here. Let's close that one. Okay, hold on, you guys. I got to drag this back over. From current slide. Okay. Um, so here are the, the four nations, Babylon, Persia, Greeks, and Rome. And so you see the time periods. Um, and so what Gabriel was explaining to, to Daniel um, was this, he said, before Israel can receive full restoration, um, this has to take place. Um, uh, the rule of the, they call it the rule of the Gentiles. And then uh, before the coming Messiah, the desolation of the temple. So when we, we will continue to read in this, I think, I believe it's in the four um, that talks about the second temple was desecrated um, by under, I think it was under Greece, um, under Alexander's um, reign. And uh, it was a big old revolt that went on. And the, it was by the, uh, it was by Judas Maccabees. Okay. Some of you may have heard about the Maccabees and things like that. And so they um, were responsible for kind of bringing back the temple to where it's supposed to be. And then that's when Herod came on, crazy Herod came on the scene. So we've been learning about that um, in, uh, in Bible study about Herod. Um, believing that he was the Messiah, and um, he actually restored the temple, and that's how it became Herod's temple, okay? Um, let me see here. There was a point I wanted to drive about the, des the temple. I may have missed it. I may have missed that point, but there, there's a point when it comes to the temple. Um, what time is it? Okay, I got a few more minutes. So when it comes to the temple, um, the desecration happened, like I said, um, under, I think it was um, under Alexander, under the Greece. And then the second one, we are familiar with the story of, of um, the temple um, that they were, they were holding um, in, the, in the marketplace of the temple. They were exchanging money, selling animals in the temple. Um, this was the Jews doing. Now, in the temple, there is a place called the, gen the courtyard of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were, were supposed to be able to come into the temple and to receive teachings about God, okay? So those who wanted to convert over to Judaism, remember I talked about, it was last week, about the different types of conversions of Judaism. There's the proselytes 
and the God-fearers. So those who were interested in becoming a proselyte or a God-fearer, they will come to the courts of the Gentiles to receive teachings. But the Jews took over the temple and began to make it a marketplace of mockery. And that's why Jesus went in and flipped the tables over because it was a mockery of what God was trying, trying to do. He was trying to provide a place for Gentiles to come in, but the Jews took it over. And you see that um, being uh, talked about in the book of Isaiah chapter two, verse one. Um, that the, uh, let me see if I can find that, because I think I passed it in my notes. Um, mm -mm 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 -mm. Yeah, I did. I passed it. And so, and I can't find it. Uh, but you'll see it in um, Isaiah chapter two. So that's why people, uh, Jesus flipped over the tables because it was, it was um, going against the plan of God um, having the Gentiles come unto him. Okay. And the Jews messed it up because then, like I said, um, when in the old Testament, the, the Jews and the um, Gentiles, they kind of lived in harmony, but during the intertestamental period, uh, that's when the, it became really hostile and the Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews, okay? Then that's, we see that in the New Testament. It started to happen um, when, I was, when I talked about how Jew, the Israelites or the Jews began to lose their identity, um, uh, began to uh, take on the Gentile practices, especially Greek. Greece, Greek was very influential for the, for the Jews to the point where they almost lost their, their main language of Hebrew because people began to speak Greek. And um, a lot of Jews, they didn't like the fact that they were pulling away from God. And so that's when we get a lot of these different Jewish sects come in, uh, uh, different Jewish groups. Um, you got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the uh, Hasmoneans. You got all these different Jewish groups that come on the scene because they want to uh, prepare themselves because they know that the Messiah is coming, but they just don't know when. And so they wanted to prepare themselves and get back to the law and things like that. And so that's when the hatred of the Gentiles began. Okay, so that's when we see in the New Testament about the different Jewish groups. They came in the scene during the intertestamental period, okay? All right, let me finish this part here about the 70 weeks real quick. So Gabriel said the prophetic clock will start at the time um, that was a decree to issue to rebuild Jerusalem. So from the date of that dec decree to the time of the Messiah will be 483 years. So we know from history that the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given by King Artaxerxes in Persia. Uh, in 445 BC, and you can read it in Nehemiah chapter two. So the first unit of 49 years or seven sevens covered the time it took to rebuild Jerusalem uh, with streets and trench, but in the times of trouble. Okay, so that's in, that's in um, Daniel nine too. So the rebuilding is chronicled in the book of Nehemiah. They will only get partial restoration, but to them, they thinking that they're getting full restoration, but they won't receive full restoration into the consummation kingdom, okay? Um, using the Jewish custom of a 360-day year, 483 years after 445 BC, which is the, the building of the temple, place us at 30 AD. 
so which will coincide with Jesus' triumphant, uh, triumphal uh, entry into Jerusalem. The prophecy in Daniel 9 specifies that after the completion of 483 years, the anointed one will be cut off. Okay, we see that in Daniel chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 36. This was fulfilled when Jesus was crucified. So Jesus, he had to die. He had to be cut off in order to fulfill the prophecy. Okay, so of the 77, this is kind of, I want to break it down one day even a little more so you guys can understand because it's kind of confusing um of the 77 69 um weeks have been fulfilled in history so this leaves one more seven yet to be fulfilled so most scholars believe that we are now living in a huge gap between the 69th week and the 70th week the prophetic clock has been paused as it were the final seven of daniel um is what we usually call the tribulation period Daniel's prophecy uh, reveals some of the actions of the Antichrist, the ruler who will come. So verse 27 says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk as we continue to go through um, the gospels. Um, this stuff is going to come up again. And so I'm going to be able to explain it a little bit more. Okay. Um, however, in the middle seven, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation in the temple. So Jesus warned of this event in Matthew 24 and 15. After the Antichrist breaks the covenant with Israel, a time of great tribulation begins. Daniel also predicts that the Antichrist will face judgment. He only rules until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's Daniel 27. God will only allow evil to go so far and the judgment of the Antichrist will face um, has already been planned out. Okay. So in those verses there, Daniel chapter nine, verses like 24 through 27, there's a lot of meat in those like three or four verses. Okay. Um, so I want you to definitely keep reading um, the gospels. It, it explains it. Um, especially, I think the end of the chapter, it explains about the, the, the king of the south and the north and all that stuff. Um, read that. Read, read that um, information there. So the conclusion of the 70 weeks, um, the prophecy of the 70 weeks is complex and amazingly detailed, as much has been written of it. Of course, there are variations, various interpretation, but the one that I presented here is the dispensational pre-millennium view meaning that i believe that rapture will occur before tribulation will occur many believe that the rapture will occur after tribulation and many some people don't believe a rapture at all so there's a lot of different views out there so one thing is certain god has a timetable and he is keeping things on schedule he knows the end from the beginning and we shall always be looking for the triumph return of our lord so if you're going to understand the Gospels, you've got to understand Daniel's timeline. So definitely on your free time, keep on looking at this timeline here. Um, it's, it's, it's a little me. It's uh, very detailed, but we're going to continue to work at it so you guys can have an understanding of it. Okay. Um, next week, I'm going to do the intertestamental period and all that stuff. So any questions? I know I threw that was a whole lot. <laughs> any questions? I have one question about that, like the different beliefs, I guess, or um, theories about what's going to happen. Yeah. Because I, I, have, I know somebody, and um, she believes, like, that 
it won't be a tribulation or you know all of that because she said it's kingdom without end so um you know like some people some people believe that we're going through tribulation now exactly yeah that's that's yeah that's probably the, the, the take that she's taking um um but that that um interpretation you see that kind of a lot through throughout time you see the term that says like end of days um and, and daniel's time he had it in in the days and people believe now like what we're going through now is tribulation but it's it's just a it's a, it's a condition it's not the actual event of tribulation that's the difference the condition versus event so we may be going through some type of tribulation now but it's not the capital t tribulation and that's what a lot of people don't understand so it's not the chief tribulation. No, it's not the chief <laughs> tribulation. <laughs> yep. Yep, so you will hear various views of the end time. There's so many different views out there, but the only view that matters is one that's in the Bible. So we just gotta um, really just take our time and look at it and things like that. So any other questions or concerns? All right, definitely keep chomping at this chapter. It's a very meaty uh, chapter. Tracy, did you have something? Your name popped up. Make sure you ain't had nothing. Um, I was just gonna ask, will there be, I would imagine that there would be a segment of people that never believe we're in tribulation, even when we're in tribulation. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah that's that's possible people probably never even heard of tribulation or whatnot so they just thinking it's just how life is or whatnot yeah i mean people was looking at jesus in the face and still was like mm -mm. right <laughs> so <clears throat> Yeah, so it's 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 very it's very interesting, and um, as we keep chump, chumping at this, we're gonna we're gonna hear a lot of different viewpoints on it. Okay. All right, so definitely keep reading um, chapter one if you haven't read it. Um, the notes are in the Dropbox. Um, they will be on the website as well. Um, just give me until the end of tonight to put it on the website. Um, but uh, if there aren't any other questions, I'm gonna go ahead and end. We're good. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and kindness and your gentle mercy. Thank you, God, that you are allowing us to understand um, your ways, your mysteries, oh God, um, your secrets, God, that you are um, freely given to those who seek after it, Father. So God, we are searching um, for it. We, we want to know it, oh God, so it can change our trajectory of living, Father, um, that we will understand the, the real purpose um, of us being here on earth, oh God. And so God, allow us to continue to understand what the um, new covenant is about and how we should be positioned as a church, oh God. Um, so God, I pray uh, that people will continue to study this word, continue to to really um, look at it and I pray that the Holy Spirit will provide illumination, um, that the Holy Spirit will allow them to start putting pieces of the puzzle together during their reading and during their quiet time with you, God. 
So God, I bless you for what has taken place. And I pray, oh God, um, I know that the Holy Spirit will, will do uh, what it is that he um, is brought here to do is that is to um, lead us and guide us in all truth father so god we um thank you and we lift you up and we honor you in jesus name i pray amen all right you guys have a good day thanks again for thank, the you. thank you later all right thank see you guys you.